Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? So I'm going to shift over here because that guy's not telling me any of my stuff like it's supposed to. But I can see this right here, and I've got this guy, so we're good. Yeah, it should be. We'll find out. So, Advent. Merry Christmas. We appreciate you being here. Uh, I must remember to put that slide up every time because I always forget what we're talking about. I don't really. I don't. I know what we're talking about today. We are on the uh, final or the fourth week of Advent this week. So that means that our topic today is love. We are talking about love. So, so far we've talked about what? We've talked about hope, peace, and joy. And today we're talking about love. So the question that we always have to ask is, what is love? And no, I did not put the video up this time, right? I want you guys to know just how original I am as a pastor, because I was sitting here putting the sermon together, and I typed in there, what is love? And I'm like, I feel like there's something I could add to bring some flair to this without remembering the fact that I had done so like three months ago when we spoke about love last time during the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit speaking. So, we're skipping over that guy, and we're going directly into this. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whenever we start talking about love, we should start with the gospel. Because the gospel is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. It's how he proclaimed how much he cares for the world. By offering himself up for it, by offering his son up for it. Willingly accepting the price of the cross so that we could have relationship with him, right? Now, if you guys know me at all, nope, that's not supposed to be in there. Next. My thing whenever I'm teaching a sermon or preparing a sermon is to always go to how do I teach, right? How do I teach about love? Which for me is, how can I pass knowledge on to you guys so that you will have knowledge of what this thing is that I'm talking about, right? How can I build up in knowledge is what I tend to say. And then as I'm doing this, I'm like just trying to work through this and figure out how can I convey this knowledge well enough. Then this popped into my brain. I'm like, oh, goodness. So at one point, whenever Paul's talking about uh, some of the issues he has with other believers and the conversations that they're having together and how they have nice big arguments about things at times, in this case specifically over whether or not they're supposed to be eating food sacrificed to idols, Paul brings up this point, and he says this. We know that all of us possess knowledge. We all know things, right? I know stuff, you know stuff. We all have knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. When he says knowledge puffs up, he's saying that knowledge itself basically just makes us feel grandiose or bigger or more prideful or more full of ourselves. Knowledge in and of itself doesn't actually do anything worthwhile. Love actually builds up a congregation. Love builds up people. And I was like, oh, okay. So when trying to preach about love, I probably shouldn't just be trying to expand knowledge. Now, this is actually quite apparent about me as a pastor in general, which many of you have probably actually noticed. I do a, an okay job of teaching, of conveying knowledge, but that only goes so far, right? Sometimes the part that I lack is the part where I actually uh, care and show love and compassion and kindness. Uh, and I've gotten some really good lessons over this past week 
past couple weeks about how there are ways in which I actually do that okay, and also there are ways in which I can grow into it better. And so this week has been able to be a time whenever we've been just working on pouring out love to each other as way we best possibly can, right? So what does it mean to both understand love well enough that we can actually do what's necessary, which is act out in our love? Because love itself is not something that we feel. It's not something that's built for us. It's not something that's all about you and me. Love is something that we both possess from God and can pour out into other people, right? So let's start with this. We're going to start with a couple of the definitions of things that we worked for before. You guys remember what peace is, right? Remember peace? It's to be safe in mind, body, or estate. It's completeness or fullness or wholeness that encourages one to give back, right? This is what peace means. This is what shalom means. This is having confidence in where we are right now and who we are in God. We know that joy is a byproduct of that, a byproduct of life with God. It's not found by seeking itself as an end for itself. Excuse me. It must be given by God. Joy is a byproduct of the peace that God gives us. <coughs> if we have peace and are therefore joyful because of it, what do you think our response to this from God should be? Love is our response. See, love is our response to Christ built upon the peace and joy made possible through what he has done for us. We can love because he first loved us. Do you guys know just how much he loves you? Do you understand it? I want you to know this. He knew you and was knitting you together before you were even an inkling in your father's and mother's eyes. He understood everything there is that he needed to know about you from the very beginning, and he has known every portion of who you are down to your core. He knows you more completely and more perfectly than anyone else could ever possibly do so, including yourself. He just knows you totally, and in that knowledge of you, he absolutely loves you. He absolutely loves you completely, fully. He has the most perfect love towards you, he sees who you are, knows everything about you, and his, his state towards you is love. Now, please note, love does not always mean that he uh, completely is happy with us, right? I love Anna completely, and I'm still unhappy sometimes whenever she throws things at me or whatever, right? But I still love her. Just because we are loved by God does not mean that he is always in a state of pleasure at what we are doing, right? But he loves us completely. And our love is a reflection of his. We can love others because he loves us. We can love others regardless of who they are and what they've done because of the fact that he loves us regardless of who we are and what we've done. We can love others no matter how much we have, they've been wronged by them because we can love, because we've been loved by him no matter how much we wrong him. <coughs> so sorry, you guys. I apologize for going to hear a cough drop kicking around my mouth while I'm freezing. But it feels like it's better than that, interrupting all the time, right? All right. <sighs> when I'm trying to think about what love is, we all go to 1 Corinthians 13, so I'm going somewhere else today for us to actually read about and understand this concept of love from God so that we can actually have not just knowledge of it, but experience of it, and then go forth and act within it, right? 
and that is John 1, 1 John 4, 7 through 21. In this section, he is talking about Jesus, and he starts with this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in him abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love, perf- by this lo- by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother, for he does not his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have also from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what? In this section, we hear a lot about God and his manifest love, right? What John is building up here, what he's speaking about, what he's pointing to is this, that if we are followers of Christ, if we have a spirit, if we know who he is, if we understand the depths of what Jesus has done for us, if we understand the sacrifice he's made on our behalf and the way in which he's poured out himself for us, <coughs> if we understand the depths of that love, if we get it, if we know and feel and experience it, and if we understand what he's done by offering himself and making himself manifest for us, then what are we going to do? What? What do we do? We'll love? Is that what we said? We'll love others. Yeah. We'll love others as Christ loved us you understand that concept? We should be known as the most loving people in the world. The ones who will pour out to other people. The ones who will show love regardless of circumstance. Who will care for people. Who seem to be the ones who people normally wouldn't care for. We should pour out to those who oftentimes the world rejects or doesn't think is worth pouring out to. I love you. I do also have a bottle sitting right there, though. I just am dumb and not drinking it. Thanks, Jake. He loved me, and I loved him. He's a good friend and coworker and brother. Anyway, we love him. We love Jesus, which is us, right? I've lost my train of thought. Where was I at before water walked up here? <laughs> Thanks, guys. I was saying, so what? Thank you. So what? So this becomes a question, guys. 
we are to be known in the world for the hope we have in the future, for the peace we have in the here and now, for the joy we have in the midst of suffering, and for the love we show unconditionally to everyone around us. How is that going in your life? Do you have that hope, that peace, that joy, that love? Those that transcend all understanding. They're not based off of the way in which the circumstances of the world and the people around you are affecting you, but are based off of who God is and what he's done. See, the world is changing and broken. The world has bad stuff happening all the time in it. The world has so much that it, it could never satisfy us, right? Other people can never satisfy us completely. We can never be able to have our hope based in just the things that are around us because those things go away. Our joy can't come from what we can see and hold on to because if our joy comes from those things, whenever they're gone, our joy will be gone. Same thing with our peace. It can't be based off of what we can see in the here and now. It can't be based off of what we have at hand. It has to be based off of him. It has to be based off of him. So how grounded are you in him? How aware are you of his love for you? How much do you recognize how much he cares for you and will do anything that he can for your good? And that everything he does is for your good. If we know and understand that, if we live in it, and if we allow that to be the main thing that we actually remember on a daily basis if we can hold to the hope that we have in him then we'll be loving so back to so what and there's a lot of things scripture says and it puts into this sort of if this happens then this if you do this then you've got this if you don't have this then you don't have that right those comparisons that are made oftentimes forgiveness is one of those comparisons that's made sometimes right as you forgive others so you are forgiven right in the same way if you understand how you're loved you will love out to others and John actually makes the point in here where's it at here let me find it I left my doohickey over here. John says this. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. If you claim that you love God and understand God's love for you but still hate others, I'm sorry. You may not understand God's love well enough. You may not get it. Now, please note, he still loves you. He still offered up his son for you. He still died on your behalf. If you have understanding of that, if you realize he rose again, if you understand he resurrected and beat death and sickness and the brokenness of this world for all time, you still have him. But you may have to work on learning what love is. We live in a climate for some reason in our culture where certain things seem to overwhelm us. Fear overwhelms, right? Anger overwhelms. Brokenness overwhelms. 
we live in a climate wherein we get to see the brokenness of the world nonstop, day in and day out. We get to see the brokenness of other people nonstop, day in and day out. Do you know I can remember whenever news cycles went to 24-hour news? <coughs> and prior to that, we did not live in a state of fear at all times. We knew bad things happened. We're going to deal with them for like an hour a night on the weeknights. If something really bad happened in California, you'd know about it at 7 o'clock that night. You wouldn't know about it until then. We didn't know about the things that happened in individual people's lives across the globe mm -hmm. as much as we do now. Now, fun story. We oftentimes think that the world is getting worse, but it's not. The world has always been horrible. Basically, since the fall, the world has been kind of broken, right? Fall of mankind happens, brothers start killing each other. The ultimate rejection of God's love, brother killing brother. Cain and Abel. The world has been broken since then. It's not really getting any worse. We're just becoming more and more aware of it. We can see more and more what it's like. Sometimes that awareness actually makes us more fearful. We're more scared. We're more worried about what's happening because we're seeing the reality of what the world is like and that reality can be overwhelming at times, right? The only thing that'll cast away that fear is God and his love. And what do I mean by that? We know this, God loves the world. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. God loves everybody within the world, even the people who don't like me or don't like you or don't like us God loves them too God loves the people that we don't like sometimes right he loves them perfectly too and if we see that he loves us and he loves them then perhaps we can learn to love them too right but even beyond that God knows the state of the world and he is working to fix it he has already broken the back of sin and death in his resurrection. He's destroyed it. And we know that he is working to bring it back to perfection and that whenever he returns, he will. The world will be recreated and reperfected. It will be perfect in his image. And that's where our hope comes from, is who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. If we have this hope, and if we have this knowledge of who he is, then it frees us up to not worry about the world as much, right? To not be so scared of it, to not be so fearful of it that we withdraw from it and keep ourselves from being a part of it and showing Christ's love within it. Can you think of anybody that you've ever just been so afraid of there was no possible way you could tell them about Jesus? You ever been there? Like, oh, I'm scared of that person. I can't go talk to them. That person's loved by God, too. Just as much as you are. Perfect love casts out fear. So as we talk about our so what's, these are the basic ones. If we know and understand the gospel, know and understand what Christ's done for us, we will love. We'll have to work on it. Guys, we will be bad at it at times. If you read the book of Acts, the early church was bad at it at times. They yelled at each other all the time. All the time. 
gotten arguments. The church is bad at this in general. You guys know that, like, St. Nicholas, the guy who Santa Claus was based off of, once punched a guy in the middle of a theological argument, right? His name was Arius. They were arguing over whether or not Jesus was always divine, basically. And Santa Claus got so mad he punched the guy. Church is bad at this sometimes, right? Obviously, we fought wars with each other over theological dispute, Right? What I'm saying is this, as you're worried again, everything that we're dealing with now, we've dealt with in the past. People have always been in conflict and arguing. Our goal is to try and rise above it. Be Christ-like to the world. If he so loved the entire world that he was willing to offer his son for it, and if he so loved the world that he did not want to condemn the world but to save the world through his actions, how should we the world? Should we approach it in condemnation or should we approach it in love? That's my call for you this Advent day. This day whenever we remember the time whenever Christ came and we appreciate and we remember the fact that he is here now and we look forward to the time whenever he will return fully. Go forth and love like Christ loved. Amen. Guys, that's all I've got for today. I'm going to pass the mic over to whomever's doing uh, communion. I'm going to let them get their own mic because this one, they probably don't want to be around. I'm going to go get some Lysol wipes for this bad boy. And I'm probably going to go cough in the hallway for a little bit. Let's take a moment and pray. And then we'll let you start talking about communion, okay? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. We can never fully comprehend it because it is so much bigger than who we are. If you are love, then it is far beyond us to understand love completely. But Lord God, we know this. You love us. You offered yourself up for us. You died on our behalf. You rose again that we might have life in you. You offered yourself as a sacrifice, a propitiation for our sins. And in doing so, you covered over our sin. You've granted us life in you. <coughs> Excuse me. Lord God, may we live as if we have that love. May we proclaim you to a world that needs you. And Lord God, may we be known throughout the world by how we love. I know at one point you said, this is how people will know that we're your disciples by how much we love one another. Lord God, may that be true of us. May people know that we are yours by our love for one another. So thank you for your love. Thank you for the peace that you've given us, for the hope you've given us. Thank you for the joy that we can have because of you. And thank you for your love. May we remember you this Advent season. And Lord, please come quickly. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Can you guys hear me okay? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, okay. Good morning and Merry Christmas.
it's awesome to see all you guys here today, especially Aaron. I gave you a hug after service. So actually, anybody can have a hug, Merry Christmas hug. Um, <coughs> but uh, yeah, well, I, I hugged Jake and he's got the flu, so I'll hug you too. <laughs> no, yeah, good point. Um, so uh, this week, uh, or, or recently, I've been reading this book on um, character development. I'm, I think it would be a good um, segue from what Chris spoke about. But uh, I was reading this book on character development, and I read this passage uh, from the book, a couple paragraphs, and um, it was uh, the author was just laying out a point, and it was like really heavy. I was like, oh man, that's like good stuff. And uh, in my humility, I you know immediately thought, okay, how do I apply this to a couple other people in my life that I think could really use this advice? And uh, <clears throat> so, of course, naturally, my next uh, step was to then you know put this on Facebook, All right? But I uh, so I logged in my computer, but luckily the Holy Spirit stepped in and was like, hey, don't do that, you're an idiot. And <laughs> and uh, so I, I stopped for a moment, and I'm like, you know, I I didn't actually stop to apply this to myself. Um, and my immediate thought was, how can I, or, or what, uh, in what ways do I see this in other people as opposed to first um, considering, you know, how does this apply to me? And it brought to mind a verse I was um, uh, reading and, and meditating on earlier in the week, um, which I'll read to you. <clears throat> it's in Matthew chapter 7. It says, uh, <clears throat> Matthew 7, 3, it says, Jesus is saying, um, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how, you, how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And as I was thinking about this, again, um, if you're like me, my first thought was, Okay, so if I remove the log from my own eye, then I'll be good enough to judge my brother, right, and to say, hey, look at that speck in your eye. But the truth is, and, and this is something that I learned um, as we've done various classes on, on studying the Bible and how to study the Bible, one of the things that Chris said once that I'll never forget is that you're never the hero of the story. And removing the log from your own eye is not something that you can do yourself. This is, indicative of a deeper problem, but one that Jesus has solved for us because he's the master carpenter. Log. Together. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> the truth is, that, like when Jesus removes that log, he doesn't like turn it into a, you know, he doesn't carve it into a judgment seat that you can sit on and then judge other people from. But rather, <clears throat> oh, I thought you were responding to that, but you're just yawning. Okay. All right, sorry, I'll try to wrap this up before you eat. Um, uh, so the, the, the reason, or the, let me, let me start over, get back to my train of thought before eating my lunch. Um, but by Christ removing this log from our own eye, um, it, is, it is, is rather an opportunity for us to have a basis for our own self-righteousness, but more for it's more an opportunity for us to apply grace to our own lives. Um, we need that grace uh, just as much as we need to apply it to others. Um, I think uh, a message we probably hear often is, you know, um, having mercy and grace and, and love towards others. Um, but that same mercy, grace, and love applies to ourselves as well. 
We need that just as much for ourselves. And yet Christ offers that to us. And also reading this verse in context, it's clear that judgment is not the, the point. Because two verses earlier in Matthew chapter, or in, in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so the point is not judgment. Not judgment for ourselves, nor judgment for others. We're not, we're not, Jesus didn't uh, come so that we may have a way to judge ourselves and then, and then con, uh, condemn ourselves and then receive grace. Our sin was already condemned. Rather, the point of this, the point of recognizing your own uh, failures and, and shortcomings is to be able to apply the grace of God to that because it's not something that we could ever get rid of ourselves. It's not something where we could ever overcome ourselves. Just the same as we couldn't overcome those things in someone else because it's, it's not within our power. And so um, taking that a little bit further, the reason, another, another thing that I was meditating on this week, the reason for that grace is that um, Christ came, he lived, and he died, and he was resurrected to life again. And one of the things that I remarked upon this week that's super important about that, the, 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 the wholeness of the gospel story is that uh, God, when he created us, breathed life into us. And yet we chose death and separation from him. And that was the state in which we found ourselves when Christ came. And I think as Paul says, um, that uh, uh, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God loved us while we were still in that state, that um, incomplete state. And so Christ came and God breathed life into his own self, into a human body and became Jesus Christ, the 100% God and 100% man. And he, he lived on earth, and he, he uh, performed his ministry here on earth. Um, and he, then he died, and he went to the cross, and he died for us. But if, if it stops there, then that, that doesn't complete the story. Right? That just makes Jesus, then we can just relate to Jesus in what we have already experienced ourselves, of having life and then, um, and then dying to sin. And while did, Christ did die to our sin, the important part is that he also rose again. And he was resurrected. And uh, if you know me, you know I, um, I'm into finance, and so I like to look at this from a financial perspective. So it's like uh, God like invested 100% of himself, and he actually got 100% back on top of his investment. So he gave himself up to death 100%, but then death could not hold him, but he was resurrected to life and to give that life to us. So he invested 100% of himself and got back both resurrection for himself but then life for us. So God was playing the long game. He was looking at the, the long-term investment <laughs> there and made 100% of his return, which if you're into finance, 100% of your return our 100% return is, is uh, like, that kind of opportunity is very rare um, and only comes with, like, a long-term strategy. But uh, the, Jesus was resurrected and, and now um, sits at the, as, as I think Paul, you know, uh, talks about, uh, he sits at the right hand of God 
and he now offers that resurrection to us. So where our story ended, Christ took it up, and he took it further, and he completed that story, and now he offers resurrection from death to us, and not only resurrection, but continued life, eternal life, which starts now. Um, so as, as we um, have you know, already, been entered, as already entered into the Christmas season, as you spend time with your friends and family over the next few days, um, I encourage you to consider the grace that is offered to you in Christ and what Christ did to purchase that for us. And I offer you to experience that life and to offer that life to others. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we <clears throat> take this opportunity to celebrate um, the most precious gift that we could ever receive, the life of Jesus Christ. Come here to relate with us and to live with us, um, to be salvation for us, the propitiation of our sins, um, to be to purify us, to be the bride of Christ um, for the life that we now live and that's to come. Lord, I thank you uh, for uh, just pouring your, out your love to us in such a way. Lord, uh, I pray that we would know that grace and, and feel that love um, as we uh, as we celebrate um, this time with you. Lord, uh, Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for us, Lord, and for bearing that burden, but for the joy set before you. Thank you for sending us your Holy Spirit to develop in us all the good things that you have promised and to reveal the mysteries of Christ. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be with us in the coming days. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Feel free to come up whenever you're ready. We uh, practice open communion here at City Church. So if you profess um, Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to, uh, to join us.
you would stand, please. cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a that old rugged cross I will ever be true its shame and reproach gladly bear then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive. 
heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Oi to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. Of fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Add more, let's sing and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as dismissed. Okay, now you're really dismissed. It was just a practice the first time. <laughs> <laughs>